What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness, the podcast that focuses on sports cards, collectibles, the hobby, and everything else in between. For today's pod, we had Jeff Wilson of Sports Card Investor on, and we got into vintage autographs, vintage cards, modern cards. We even got a chance to get into a lot around Jeff's new mega card shop, Cards HQ, that's opening up early next year. This was a really great conversation. You guys definitely don't want to miss this one. Kick is on the way, and it is All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sports Card Madness. Today, like usual, I'm here with LZ, and we have somebody that most likely needs no introduction. Jeff Wilson of Sports Card Investor and many other things has decided to join the pod today, and we are super pumped. Welcome to the pod, Jeff. Well, thank you, Nick, and I'm super pumped as well uh, to be here. Much like you guys, I share a love for on-card autographs, particularly you know, vintage on-card autographs. And it's something that I've kind of grown an increasing um, desire for in terms of, uh, you know, collecting that. So it's it's exciting to get to talk with you guys because you guys have built up incredible collections in, in that regard. Very cool. So Jeff, you might not know this, but I wanted to tell you right off the bat, um, you are the reason I have the full 1986 Fleer set autographed. So my, the first content I ever consumed of yours was an amazing YouTube video where you had your own autographed 1986 Fleer set and you went through it card by card. And I thought to myself, my goodness, that is unbelievable. Like, that's amazing. How can I do this? So I wanted to personally thank you for uh, sparking that in me. It was, it was a really cool, it was a little bit different how I went about it. I kind of got a lot through the mail and signings and everything, but um, it was, it was really cool. So thank you. You're, you're yes. And I've, I have that set right here. I, oh I, my I, goodness. I, I, I unearthed it here from the vault. <laughs> I've got it right here. Um, it's still probably, you know, my single favorite collectible that I own, I would say is that set. Um, now I got it. I, you know, I got it the easy way. I just wrote a check to somebody who had done all the hard work. Uh, you know, you, you've done, you did all the hard work. You, so sure. you, you, your, your, your set is more admirable than mine because you actually <laughs> did all the hard work to piece it together. I just, I just took a shortcut, um, and wrote a check, but I, I think it's an incredible set. It's, it's something that I cherish. I love that era of basketball. Um, you know, I grew up in in you know the the 80s and the 90s obviously and i remember like dream team like the dream team hit right when i was starting uh high school and so that was like just kind of a sporting era sporting moment that i just remember a lot from my childhood and so that like you know the 80s and the 90s it just has a lot of significance to me and of course so many of those 86 fleer uh, some of those players from that dream team, you know, their, their quote rookie cards uh, are right. in, are in 86 Fleer. And so like, I just consider that to be just kind of the ultimate set. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a, a magical set. Um, you know, we're all from the same era. We all kind of grew up at the same time, Jeff. And uh, a, a shout out and a thank you to you as well, because it's motivated me to go for the set. 
<laughs> I'm four, 14 away. Yeah. Um, and I, with you cutting the check, like, you know, I just thought of how you don't have to deal with a lot of the headaches that <laughs> Nick and I have had to, had to deal with. Headache, headache of the day for me. Um, I got the Barkley rookie card signed. It got shipped to me. And I was going through my cards today. I have about like probably eight that I need to send to PSA. You know, these are all raw signed. And I'm like, where, where's the Barkley? Like it's, it's nowhere to be found, Jeff. I, I think it's, I'm hoping that it's somewhere like down in the kitchen in an envelope. I, I, right before this, I was, I was freaking out a little bit. So yeah, it's, um you know, building a set like this is, uh, there's just a lot of kind of, uh, operations that needs to go into it with spreadsheets and tracking where all your cards are. So, uh, you know, kudos to you for having that beautiful set. It's yeah. yeah. I've had that panic before about, about losing cards. <laughs> and so I I've tried to develop a, over time, I've developed a more thorough system for like, you know, what I'm taking in and out of the safe or the vault or whatever, just to make sure that I'm not, you know, misplacing things. I, I feel that pain, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll turn up. Um, yeah, it's exciting. And Nick, you just got your your Jordan, right? And that was the one you needed to complete the set. Yeah, well, I have the completed set. I have a, a Jordan in ballpoint, which I'm OK with, but I want the whole set in Sharpie. So yeah. I've got the set. And then this technically is an upgrade. So it's a guy who got Jordan signed to sign 50 plus cards in the late 80s and lives in Chicago area. And finally, after two years, I've been just working on him and trying to get him to sell it. And um, he's like, all right, just fly out here and we'll make it happen. And I'm like, OK, done. Um, and actually, the first attempt got canceled by a hurricane. But uh, a few weeks later, I made it out there. It was this past week. And um, it's on day three at Beckett right now. Not like not that I'm watching or anything very closely. <laughs> and uh, if that gets back, it'll be in a Beckett slab. Um I may cross the PSA after some time, but uh, obviously there's some sizable fees associated with that. So we'll see. That might be the flagship of it, or I might keep the ballpoint. Larry, uh, LZ is going to get the um, whichever one I don't keep, I think. It's it's nice to have a brother-in-law who's who's into this, Jeff. Not going to lie. Yeah, no, that's that's helpful. <laughs> well, I, yeah. you know, as I as I said to you, Nick, this this guy who you're referencing is um someone of great interest to me because I I've started to collect. Uh, you know, the various 1980s Michael Jordan cards um, signed, right? So it, it I've gone beyond 86 Fleer. I've got his, um, I've got the 80, 84 star uh, US Olympic team card. I want to get the true 84 star 101 signs. Mm. I saw I was negotiating with a guy at the national this year on one of those, but I thought his price was too high. So I didn't end up pulling the trigger, but I've got the Olympic team one signs and that's a, it's a 10 signature, which is really, really nice. Beautiful. signature on that um i've got i've got the um i got the 87 fleer at the national this year signs um i got the i love this one this is actually my probably my favorite single card of all of the signed jordan cards that i have and this is the 88 uh this is the oh. um the all-star uh 88 fleer so that's him slam dunking uh you know at the all-star game yep. uh and uh it's it's just yeah i just love this card it's also this one is a psa 9 auto grade of 10 which is the highest uh that exists in that card in terms of grade 
Um, I think it's a pop, it's a pop one. There's only one PSA nine that's ever been um, autograph authenticated and uh, none higher. So it's, it's a pop one highest possible of that particular card. So that's probably my favorite actually uh, Jordan card. Cause I just love the image of that so much. I picked up the 89 Fleer at the uh, national this year as well. So I've got, a, I'm, I'm building wow. up more of those 1980s Jordan cards, but I've got a lot still to go. I think we can fill some of those gaps. I, I know for a fact, he's got the one-on-one signed. His brother has the Miller one sign. I think that's 84. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he basically has everything. <laughs> it's just a matter of um, convincing him to part with his children. Sure. <laughs> a great. That's a great collection. Yeah. I, I love I love that stuff. It's a lot of fun. Now, do you guys have the stickers uh, from 86 Fleer signed yes. as well? Yes. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Great. I, so you got the full the full 144 then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, I mean, I took it, yeah. I, I guess it might be mild OCD on my end, but I, I got bored when I finished the set and I just started getting, I, I got like 20, 25 checklists and I looked up every referee from that season mm-hmm. that's still alive. And I got them each to sign an individual checklist along with like, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf saying, glad we drafted MJ and um, Jeannie Buss signed one and said Showtime Lakers on it. And then I, I went to LZ and I'm like, I-, I need I need a new set, <laughs> which is why <laughs> I, I started diving into uh, the 1969 Tall Boys. But um, yeah, it's crazy. It, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really neat. Jeff, let's um, this is a great time to have you on the podcast because recently you made a big announcement, a big announcement, uh, a new endeavor that that you and two business partners are, are taking on, which is Cards HQ. Yeah, um, Cards can, HQ. yeah t- tell us tell us about this. I mean, I really want to dive into this. I'm very interested. I'm interested in it in, for a couple of reasons. I've been telling Nick for a while that we need to have a card shop owner on the pod. So that you're you're diving in and I want to hear all about it. So please, please tell our audience what's what's going on. Well, yeah, hopefully I'll officially be a card shop owner January 26th, because that's the day that we're hoping to open. Um, Cards HQ is going to be, we would like to think, you know, one of the premier card shops in the world. Uh, when we open, we're we're building out. It's a 14,000 square foot space here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so a really big space, former Pier 1 store. Um, it was actually the Southeast headquarters for Pier 1. Um, so it was a big store and a big back office and a big warehouse, um, which works out perfectly for us because that, you know, that kind of gives us everything we need. Um, and so we are, uh, we leased it earlier this year. We are underway with construction right now. They're building the whole thing out. We got a really good architecture firm to do a really neat design of the space. And we're really, there's two things that we're really focused on that I think give it some uniqueness from what you see with other card shops and that I think will will make us stand out and, and hopefully be a very memorable you know, experience for collectors. So the first thing we're really focused on is in-store experience and creating an environment where when you come to Atlanta and you walk into this shop that you want to stay, you want to spend the day, you want to linger because there's it's it's fun, it's inviting, and it's encouraged for people to come in and stay. It's not transactional. It's not, you know, just come in and buy a box and get out. It's, hey, come and bring your cards and trade and show your cards off to other people and watch sports and rip a box or two 
Like that's the kind of the environment we want to create. So we intentionally added things to the store design, like, you know, first of all, a big customer lounge with nine televisions and, you know, plenty of room to watch sports, lots of tables for trading uh, so people can come in and trade. Um, and then I'm really excited about our, our breaking arena, our card breaking arena, where we actually have a, a custom table that we've had built that is a... Um, looks really cool. It's like the, you know, a final table at the World Series of Poker, uh, you know, with lighting in the table, card cams in the table, and you can sit there and you can open up a box. Anyone can do it. So it's well, you know, any customer can come into the store, buy any box you want off of our shelf, go sit down, and whether you're opening it yourself or whether you're you want to pack battle with a friend and sit there and pack battle, um, the whole thing is going to be streaming live um all day long on YouTube, so, you know, anyone Anyone you want to watch from anywhere in the world, or if you want to save, save clips of it for social media later or whatever, it's all, it's all there. It's all streaming, and you can come in and and there's you know bleachers in the store for people to sit and watch other people opening up boxes, um, and you know television, so it's all zoomed in and you can see the cards clearly and you know the people's reactions and all that kind of stuff, um, and so it's it's I think that's just going to be a really fun experience, and I think even if you even if you don't come in and rip a box yourself, I think just sitting in the stands and watching, you know, other customers rip their boxes and what cards are they getting? And, you know, and we're going to do some fun stuff with that too. Like we're going to have certain probably like bounty prizes. And if somebody pulls a one of one, you know, everyone in the store gets a free pack as of that moment in time or, you know, stuff like that, just to kind of make the whole thing fun and, and, and interactive. So the in-store experience is is a big deal to us, and we're doing a lot to really make that memorable. And then the other element is we also, though, recognize that, you know, probably only a small percentage of people who watch sports card investor content will ever be able to make their way to Atlanta and walk into the store. So how do we give the store experience to the 95% of our audience that's never going to walk into the store in Atlanta? And so we're going to be doing live streaming from the aisles of the store 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and no one's ever done anything like this before. There's plenty of people that go live on, you know, the various platforms like whatnot and they sell singles, but they do it from a studio. They do it from a desk, right? And they show a single on the screen and then they, they auction it or attempt to sell it. And then they move on to the next one. I've not seen anyone who actually has mobile camera units in the aisles of the store and that are actually opening up showcases and like selling cards live out of showcases within the store and, and, you know, walking up and down the aisles of the store. And so that's what we're going to do. And so we've got, you know, special, special roving camera units. We're going to have live video hosts in the aisles and we're going to be, we're going to be live 24 seven. Um, so even if it's three in the morning and you want to, uh, you know, check out our showcases of Michael Jordan cards, you'll be able to, to go on and do so. So it's going to be, it's going to be innovative in a lot of ways. Um, we're hoping what it does is we're hoping it, it sets a new standard for hobby shops. And we're hoping mm -hmm. that, you know, others in the country, raise the bar in, in their own ways. And maybe they, you know, maybe they find some unique ways to do it that are, are, are different than what we're doing to add their own spin on it. But we're hoping that it, we're hoping that it just overall raises the collector experience and, and, um, 
establishes kind of a new baseline for what that experience can be when you go into a hobby shop. Mm. It, it really, yeah. You're trying to make this a destination to your point. This is, I mean, with what you just described, my goodness, right. This is, um, it's all around experience. Me and Nick talk about that a lot. Right. And, and that's what you're creating. You're not just creating a transactional experience. You're creating a, a full day experience. Um, that's really interesting. The, the roaming around the aisles. So customers are going to be either on camera or right behind the camera, getting involved, watching these breaks, watching these sales. Um, that's, that's really cool. That is really cool. Um, I know you've been building up to this idea and you have a couple of business partners in this. Um, like why, why now? Why do you think now is the time to do something like this? Um, I, that's a great question. I mean, it's something we have been working towards for a while. It's something mm -hmm. that I've been thinking about for the last couple of years. And then we made the decision to actually do it about a year ago. Um, I continue to be very excited about the future of the sports card hobby. I can, I continue to believe that the hobby is going to grow significantly in the years ahead. And, you know, I would say, to be honest, fanatics getting involved and placing the investment that they have placed into the hobby has strengthened that confidence that I have. Um, they, you know, they made a big bet on the future of this hobby and the growth of this hobby. And I see what's happening behind the scenes there. I, I know the people they're hiring. I know the investments they're making. I know what some of their future plans are and they are, they're really committed to growing the hobby and doing it in a smart collector friendly way too. Like they're not just trying to, they're not just trying to create the next hype cycle where, you know, everything spikes up on the charts and then it's, and then it, you know, it cools off again and, and crashes back down. They're, they're really not trying to do that. They're trying to build a sustainable growth. And they recognize that in order to do that, they've got to build more collectors, you know, not mm -hmm. just flippers, not just, you know, investors, but they got to create a larger and larger collector base and and because they want it to be sustainable and they want it to be healthy and they want the whole ecosystem to be healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really smart. And I think that they're going to be successful because I think they're putting investment into marketing. I think they're putting investment into product development. Um, and I think they're they're going to be able to connect um, cards with athletes and cards with pop culture like was never possible in the past. And you're starting to see some of that now, like some of the things they've done in recent months, whether it's Tom Brady and Kevin Hart and Travis Scott showing up at trade nights in New York a few weeks ago, or whether it's the, you know, private event they did with Victor Webinyama, you know, which I had the opportunity to go to um, a month or two ago, or, or, you know, and they got a lot planned like that, like a lot planned. Right. Um, and I think that, I think that that's really going to kind of redefine the connection between cards and athletes and pop culture and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's going to bring more and more interest and attention to cards and more and more people are going to get interested in it and start collecting. So I'm betting on the long term. You know, I'm betting on yeah. the hobby continuing to grow and I'm betting on us 
being part of the growth. I'm, I'm betting on us by creating a really amazing in-store experience and online shopping experience. I think we are going to help fuel that growth as well. Because I think, you know, in Atlanta, when new collectors walk into the store and they're like, wow, like this is cool. Like we want to be part of this. Like that's great. And then hopefully we end up creating collectors for life whose first touch points are, you know, coming into our hobby shop. And if we're able to do that, then, you know, we're, we're part of that group that's helped growing all of it, which is, which would be really exciting. You, you touched on, you know, fanatics and especially some of the recent events, this might be getting a little, a, a little ahead of things, but are you thinking about doing things like that in the store too? Like trying to bring in some athletes and celebrities and doing kind of those in-store experiences as well? Yeah, we'd absolutely love to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And we're, we'll have to figure out obviously some of that as we go, but the, the idea is to have this store be an experience. And, and so I think there's a lot of different ways you can go with that, but one way is definitely to have in-store events um, and to have, you know, athlete appearances and special events in the store. Um, so yeah, I think that would be something that we would love to do. Hmm. Nice. Um, you'd mentioned just growing, growing the hobby. And I know you're a big advocate of getting kids involved in the hobby. Um, 100%. Yeah. And Nick and I talk about it a lot as well. What do you plan to do in the store for kids? Yeah. So we're going to have a dedicated kid trade zone. You know, I, I don't know if you guys saw at the, at the national this year, you know, our kid, our kid trade zone there. And, yeah. and, you know, that was, that was really special. Um, it, it surpassed, I had high expectations for it and it, it like, it surpassed my expectations just in terms of, what that was going to be like. It kind of blew me out of the water and I was really excited to see it. So kids love to trade. I mean, kids love to trade cards, right? And it's it's honestly like, I think it's the act of trading that like they 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 kind of have the most fun with that. Like it's 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 you know it's just it's a fun endeavor for kids. And they um and I feel like you know, I have felt historically like both card shows and card shops have not leaned into that aspect enough. Some shun it, right? There are some card shows and card shops that don't want to encourage trading at all because they feel like it detracts from the business of the dealers um, at those shows. And like, I'm, I'm not going to argue, I guess, against if adults are showing up and doing trades with each other that, you know, people are putting cash into the deals. And so cash is being taken off the show floor. Maybe that has some effect. I don't know. I would argue the reverse, which is even if some of that happens because you're creating more of an experience, you're getting more people there. So I think the overall gain is still a net positive gain for the dealers. Um, but I'm not going to get into the argument on the adult side, but on the kid's side, I, I feel strongly that we, everybody in the hobby, every card show, every card shop should be leaning into creating an environment where kids can trade and kids can interact. And, you know, because obviously they're the future, but beyond that, like beyond just, you know, wanting to develop the next generation of collectors for the sustainability of the hobby, there's also a, you know, kind of a greater societal impact. And that is that 
I believe that cards are an incredible vehicle for young people to learn finance, to learn negotiation, to learn entrepreneurship a little bit, to learn money, to learn speaking, you know, communication. I, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, Get I think off the so, phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's so many good skills that come from it. I, I was completely like, you know, unbelievably obsessed with sports cards when I was a kid and loved trading and love that. And I would go to school every day with my binder of cards and I would, I would put it in my backpack and me and a bunch of kids at my school would trade cards over lunch every single day. And so like, I had that experience growing up and it, you know, it, it, it wasn't about, did I get the better deal or not the good deal or whatever? And, and some, I, I, I actually very distinctly remember like a couple of deals going poorly for me and, you know, that kind of stuff. And you learn obviously all the lessons through that, it, but it, it, it wasn't as much about that. And it was more about just the experience you get from that and that you just get comfortable doing that type of thing. And I think it's just a great skill for kids to have as they grow up and whatever they end up going on and doing in life. It, I, I just think that that, that helps them. And hopefully in, hopefully in many of them, it, it, it sparks, um, you know, some entrepreneurial thinking or, you know, something that maybe then gets them interested in business as they grow up. And that, and I believe that's what happened with me. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for putting so much thought and effort and passion into that. Uh, Nick and I both have, both have children. Um, and, and we believe in this, this is a big deal. And, and we watch you from afar and, and we see all that you're doing and, and we truly appreciate that. That, that you're pushing pushing that more and awesome. more well we're gonna That's, we're gonna keep doing we're gonna keep doing it because it's yeah. and we're gonna do it in the store we're gonna have you know encourage it in the store for sure we're gonna have kids trade kids trade zone in the store we might have specific kids trade nights i know um card collector too um ryan does a you know he's got a store in columbus ohio and he does a kids trade night um periodically at his store and and that's always a wonderful event and i always um, you know, he does the big trade night at the national as well. And that's obviously attended, you know, super heavily by kids as well as by adults. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's a great inspiration on that front as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're going to continue to, to lean into that. Excellent. Uh, switching gears a little bit. Um, I do know your background a little bit, and I know that you have owned a few Ben and Jerry's ice cream shop franchises, uh, a couple of years ago. And, when I heard that you were coming out with, you know, building this store, this shop, I said to myself, Ooh, I kind of, I, I wonder what he, he learned from, you know, these Ben and Jerry stores. So I'm, I'm just curious as you're building, you know, lessons learned, mistakes made, hiring, inventory, all of those things that you had to worry about with an ice cream shop. Yeah. Now you have an inventory of, I don't know. I mean, you tell me how many cards and, and pieces pieces of product you're going to have in this new store. But I'm just curious, like what lessons learned were there? Yeah, it's an first of all, it's an intimidating number. Like we we determined that in order to fill up all of our showcases on opening day, we have to have fourteen thousand cards to fill up our showcases, and that doesn't include any of our dollar bins or anything of that nature. That's just simply you know, like in the, in the actual showcases, we're going to have to have 14,000 cards and we're going to have to have 
a minimum of 6,000 boxes of wax to fill up our wax shelves. So it's, you know, it's, it's a big number um, of what we need in terms of opening inventory. Um, and so we're, we're working through that now, but yeah, the, the operations of a, of a retail business are, are very tough. And what I learned from doing the Ben and Jerry stores, I mean, as simple as they may sound running an ice cream store sounds like it's just like the simplest possible business. And it, it is, I have great respect for good operators of retail stores, restaurants, et cetera, because it is a very tough business. I mean, stuff's constantly going wrong. You're dealing with a lot of part-time employees whose priorities aren't always the store. And, you know, my, my background otherwise, um, other than that has been, um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, more like corporate, you know, technology companies, agency, that kind of thing. And so honestly, it's a lot easier when you have a lot of like white collar, highly paid career professionals, they're going to show up and they're going to do their job. You know, it's so it's like, it's a little bit of a different world sometimes when you get into retail. Um, there's two things I would say that I really kind of most focused on and took away. One was I've got to have really good operational partners if this is going to work, which is the only reason why I hadn't done it earlier. You know, because if it was, we had toyed around with it, um, you know, really ever since 2020, I had had conversations with my sports card investor team about, do we open our own card shop? Do we open our own car card shop? And I was always hesitant because I said, we'd really need a, we'd really need strong operational partners to make that happen. And I, when I, when I met Carter and Ryan and got to know them a bit, that's when I was like, okay, these guys are the right guys to really make this happen. Um, and so that was, that was part one. So I'm thankful to have them. And, um, and then part two is while we are building a retail store, we are first, we are first and foremost, really looking at it as if it's an online experience and our, you know, our revenue mix, like when you, when we're looking at our projections for how we think we're going to get revenue, we're projecting significantly more revenue from the online live streaming sales than we are people walking into the store in Atlanta. And, and the store is going to be great. You know, the experience is going to be great for the people who walk in in Atlanta, but we're, but we're more focused on the online experience in terms of our revenue mix. And I think that that leans into what our strength has been as an organization since we started, which is, you know, good quality video production, education, entertainment, inspiring, you know, collectors and, 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 um, you know, so I think that our ability to produce content, create high quality content, tell stories, showcase cards, showcase collectors, and do it across YouTube and social media, that has been a, a, a strength of ours. And so how do we bring that into the card shop environment and then utilize that to help promote the store, help sell cards, and then just showcase everything that's going on and, and, and tell the stories of collectors who walk in the door and everything like that. And so that's, that's the other element of it too, is like, you know, we leaning into that side is really, really key for us.
Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. Lean into all those strengths, lean into your your tech background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I with with all the examples you've already given us around, you know, these mobile these mobile carts around the store, these mobile kind of cameras that you're going to have and um I'm just you know, I, I, you know, absolutely just lean into your background, right? I'm a I'm a technologist too, so <clears throat> I'm always curious around technology and and you hit on a lot, a lot of it. Um, and I know that's a big piece of, of who you are. I'm just curious, is there any other kind of technology that you're thinking about putting in this store or, or it could even be just, you know, managing the, you know, managing the inventory is going to, yeah, you know, that's actually, that has been actually a really interesting challenge is figuring out how to do that. Um, and there's not wonderful solutions out there. There's some being worked on and being developed right now and they're coming along but they're they're that's an area where the hobby has been underserved. I mean, from a technology standpoint in general, the hobby has is just behind the times. It's been tremendously underserved. And it's improved a lot over the last few years. Like the, you know, you've seen the big auction houses come out with apps, come out with updated websites, more more friendly experiences. I mean, that's that's been very helpful because, you know, trying to like bid on cards on Golden's website you know, two or three years ago was a nightmare. You know, it's it's gotten better, um, as has PWCC and, you know, eBay's made some improvements to what they're doing. And it, it's all of that's gotten better, which is good to see, but it still has a ways to go. And, um, you know, it, it there's still a lot of room for improvement in a lot of different areas. We've, we've, uh, we've debated building our own technology around our store. I think at first we're going to, leverage existing platforms and we're going to leverage existing infrastructure more so um i've been you know one area where the technology has gotten a lot has gotten really good is around like live selling like you know apps like whatnot and fanatics live and now ebay live is is you know come onto the scene and then obviously you've got others like you know drip and network and loop and card shop live and these um these apps provide a cool experience. And so I think I think we're not gonna try to create custom tech there or reinvent the wheel there, at least at first. Um, and I think we're gonna, you know, lean on some of these existing platforms. But I think the magic's gonna be more so in how is all this stuff interconnected? Like how do you get your inventory of the 14,000 cards we have on display? How are those? loaded into whatnot and loaded into TikTok shopping and loaded into Shopify and and loaded into eBay and then have it all synced in real time. And so if a card sells over here, you're not also then selling it to somebody over there and ending up with a problem. Um, and that's interesting in an in-store environment. Like if if somebody buys something online, how do you get it out of the showcase right away so that a customer doesn't pick it up and walk to the cash register with it. So there's a lot of complexity there that we're working through and there's none of the solutions that are out there right now are are quite robust enough to solve every problem, but, but they're, they're, they're working in that direction. So I Mm -hmm. think as time goes on, that will get better and better. Yeah. Well, I could, I could go down a rabbit hole for a a while with that, that technology topic. Nick and I have been talking a lot about how we need to start doing some segments around technology. So once you get your sea legs, 
maybe we'll maybe we'll have you on again to talk about this this inventory problem. Uh, but I have been swallowing up all the air, Nick, and I know you're 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 chomp, you're chomping at the bit bit here. So, uh, what do you, yeah? Go ahead, Nick. I'm sure you have a lot to ask. Yeah, sure. Um, so we'll shift this back to vintage autos in a minute. But um, from one entrepreneur to another, I wanted to say how much I respect the visibility you're providing to this. Um, I actually think you should probably call Harvard up and maybe get like a business case study done out of this to the MBA students. Cause at the end of this journey, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. You probably don't realize it yet, but I can kind of see where this is going. So um, before we dive back into vintage, kind of a rapid fire question. And again, I've been an entrepreneur. I, I kind of feel the, the pains you're feeling. What keeps you up most at night about this new card shop? And what are you most excited about? What's keeping me up right now is just the sheer amount of stuff to do now that we've got an actual opening date that we're trying to work towards of, you know, January 26th. And that's only like a little over three months away. Um, so <clears throat> there's a lot to do. I mean, we've got to hire a team of at least 25 people to start. And, you know, we've we've received a couple hundred applicants uh, through our website since we made the announcement but we haven't started in interviews yet. And so, you know, that's, I mean, that's a massive project in and of itself. We've got to buy the inventory, um, you know, to get, to get, and we've, that is now underway. And, you know, we started officially doing that last weekend at the Nashville card show and this, and actually right now, my, uh, my partners, Ryan and Carter are, are at Chantilly at that card show. And then they're going to a card show a weekend every weekend between now and when the store opens essentially in January, just buying inventory. Um, but that's also challenging because you have to worry, <clears throat> you have to worry about market conditions too, right? I mean, so buying inventory in October to sell in January, you don't want to end up like it's, it's dangerous, you know, to do that. Um, mm -hmm. especially let, you know, less so with vintage cards and, and, you know, that type of thing, but, especially if you're trying to buy like, you know, modern NFL quarterbacks, like my God, like they're, you know, some of those cards may be worth, you know, 25% of what they are today. If somebody finishes their season very poorly. Right. So you gotta be, it's, 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 it's difficult. So we're trying to prioritize the buying so that th this first, you know, month to two months, we're more concentrated on cards that we feel are more stable and safe. Um, so less of the, you know, young rookies, prospects, you know, that type of thing. And then as we get closer to the store opening, that's when we'll start to shift to try to, you know, go buy your guys who are currently, currently active. Um, but it's, um, it's a challenge, right? So it's just, you know, and then there's a, a zillion other things. I mean, the, we're, you know, figuring out how, I mean, obviously you got the whole build out of the store, but then all the logistics around the live selling and the breaking and all that kind of stuff. And, and how's the, how are all these studios going to be set up and configured and what equipment are we going to use? And uh, all that stuff, we're like in the process of trying to figure all of it out right now. And, and there's, you know, there's a million things like that. So there's definitely stress around, you know, how are we going to get it all done in time? And, right. and we will, and we'll mm -hmm. figure it out and, you know, we'll, we'll hustle like hell to get it all done in time. But, but that's keeping me, that's keeping me up. Um, what I'm most excited about, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited about creating a really unique, memorable experience. And I'm excited 
I would be most excited if I feel like what we're doing in the store has an overall net positive impact that's felt beyond the store. Like that's what, that's what I want it to achieve. I want other card shops to look to what we're doing for inspiration. I want other card shops to open in the country that, you know, copy elements of what we do or try to take elements of what we do and take it up to the next level. Right. I, I would love to see that happen because then that's going to create a stronger ecosystem around the country. Um, and so, you know, and I, I love to show people kind of what's possible um, and, and, you know, hopefully we're successful to do that. Now, of course, there's no guarantees we're going to be successful. Right. And, and I'm sure some of these things that we're trying are probably not going to work out the way that I think that they will, you know, will is 24 hour a day, seven day a week, live selling a thing. Is that sustainable? I think it is, but we might, you know, it may not be like, it may be, right. we may find out that the customer, it's just not, the customers aren't there at four in the morning. <laughs> you know, we can't, you know, we can't be, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And it, we, we, you know, maybe, maybe it makes sense to do it six hours a day in the evenings, but maybe it doesn't make sense to do it the rest of the day. I don't know. You know, well, so we're going to, you know, we're going to learn a lot and, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. It's pretty exciting. You, it makes me think of a, a grocery store, right? You're opening a grocery store. You need to fill it up with apples and oranges and bananas, and they're steady. Their price doesn't change, but you also got to have like the flaming hot Cheeto mac and mm -hmm. cheese for like the college student, right? You might not sell any of those. You don't know. So um, it's funny you mentioned that with the card values, the type of cards you have, vintage being more steady. So good luck, Jeff. Um, this this sounds pretty, pretty fun, pretty gnarly, but pretty fun. Um, I think it'll be awesome. So, well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's cards. I mean, good right. God, like this whole, you know, the whole, like, I, yeah, I honestly, at this point, like, I can't imagine doing anything else in my life at this, like in terms of starting my own venture from scratch, if I were to start anything else at this point, like the only other thing I could really see myself doing at some point is, um, like you know, maybe some type of charity endeavor, mm -hmm. right? Because outside of that, where obviously that would have the the mission to really, um, you know, uh, allow me to kind of dedicate my full heart to it. Like, I, you know, I just I just don't see it again. Like I've done, you know, it's it's um, I'll continue to invest in different types of companies. I'll continue to invest in startup founders with different tech companies and help mentor them and help coach them and everything like that. But like in terms of me actually being the founder um it's you know i nothing could be as fun as doing this and so sure. you know I, I i'm gonna lean in super heavily to this and i hope that you know we we create something super successful here i think you will i know you and your family are fans of disney just from following you on instagram so i imagine I have a feeling this will become like the uh, the Disney World of Cards. Hopefully, that would be amazing. <laughs> I mean, like that would be that that would be incredible, right? I, I and I want it to be that experience. Like I want it to be. I want people to 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 speak about it with a reverence that, like, you know, oh, you know, if you're a collector, you got to go here. Like, you got to check this place out. I I hope we get to that point. That would be a tremendous tremendous honor if we do. For sure. Um, all right. So shifting back to vintage quickly, when I was looking at cards and getting into cards, I actually sat down with my financial advisor who uh, we're going to have on the pod in a, in a couple of weeks. And I said like, all right, I've got stocks, I've got bonds, I've got real estate, I've got private equity. What else can I do? Um, 
And then there's this, this nebulous category of fine art, you know, gold, things that are scarce, waterfront property. Um, and then I love cards. And we thought, well, you know, vintage cards, they're not making anymore. They're scarce. And then further, if they're signed, they're even more scarce. So I had this thesis together on why I wanted to invest in this asset class that moves differently than stocks and bonds. Um, and I was also a collector my entire life. And I kind of put that together and then dove in. But I wanted to kind of understand what your thinking was like. You were early or much earlier than me on at least vintage signed cards and vintage cards as well. So, you know, what were you thinking there? What was your your logic? Well, so when I first got back into it, it was all ultra modern, you know, and I, I wish it wasn't like I wish I had, you know, bought at first. I wish I had bought more vintage and leaned into the vintage side of things, you know, more heavily right at the beginning. But it, but what was hot in 2019 and 2020 uh, was ultra modern. I mean, that's what, you know, everyone was flipping and the cards were going nuts and everyone was excited about the new releases and all that kind of stuff. And so that's where I put, that's where I put a lot of my focus and attention at first. And then I started looking more into vintage. I started getting, you know, kind of reconnecting with the history of it and everything like that. And, you know, I don't know the exact moment that the autographs really struck me, but it, it might've been, it might've been this. I was, one of the first vintage cards that I was really attracted to picking up was the 33 Gaudi Babe Ruths, because I just think that the, I just, I love the 33 Gaudi set. I think that, I think that set's unbelievable um, just in terms of just the design and the color. And, you know, those cards are well-preserved. They just look amazing today. I saw come up for auction. I, I guess it was probably in 2000. I saw come up for auction, a 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth card signed by Babe Ruth, authenticated by PSA. And I, you know, it came up on Heritage or one of the major auction sites. And I looked at this thing. I'm like, wait a minute, that exists. I didn't know that existed. And I was like, oh my God, like, like how many of those are there? I've never seen one. You know, I've seen a bunch of 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth. I've never seen one autographed by Babe Ruth. And then I went and I looked at the PSA pop reports. And at, at that time, across the four different uh, Gaudis, of Ruth, there were a grand total of 27 that had ever been signed by Ruth and, and authenticated by PSA. Um, one of them, I think only has three or four that have ever been PSA authenticated. The others are around like eight um, that have been, the other three are around eight that have been PSA authenticated. And I said, oh my God. And then meanwhile, I go and look then at the population of 33 Gaudis in general without the autograph and across PSA and SGC, I believe the total number is around 8,000, uh, 33 Gaudi Babe Ruths across the four cards that have been authenticated by either PSA or SGC. And I said, okay, so there's 8,000 total Babe Ruth Gaudi cards that have been authenticated and there's 27 that had been authenticated with his autograph. And to me, I was instantly, I was like autograph version all day, like autograph mm -hmm. version, so much more rare, so much more scarce and so much more special in my opinion, because the player actually held and signed the card. So that instantly 
kind of just caught my attention and shifted me towards looking for for vintage autographs. And that that would have happened sometime in the year in the year 2020. Um, and then, you know, I got that Lear set sometime, I forget exactly when I bought that. That was right around, I think the end of 2020, early 2021, when I bought that Fleer set. Um, and, um, and yeah, I've gone down, I've just gone down a pathway of, of starting to get more and more. Now, what's interesting is the attention to vintage autographs, like the, the, it shift it shifted up dramatically in the last few years. Like obviously, I wish I had gone a lot heavier into it back in twenty twenty when I initially had the thought because even back then it was more affordable and more attainable than it is today. Obviously, if I had jumped on it back in like twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, i would I would have been thrilled, right? That would have been the time to do it. It's yeah. harder today. And you know, today, a lot more people are paying attention to it, and it seems like the popularity of the vintage on card autographs just continues to increase. But you know, it's wild because talking to the dealers who have been at this for such a long time, they, they're like mystified by this shift in perception in the hobby, because obviously signing a card used to just be considered blasphemy, like it destroyed the card. And I had a really, I actually in Nashville talked to a dealer who, who had been a, a, you know, 35, 40 year dealer. Um, and in fact, there's an interview on the Jeff Wilson show, which will come out here in the next two to three weeks with him, which you guys should listen to. It's going to be super interesting. Um, he used to be the uh, autograph agent, essentially, for Mickey Mantle um, and a whole bunch of the other stars from that era. But Mantle in particular, he arranged all of Mantle's appearances at a whole bunch of different card shows, brokered his autograph deals to show up at card shows and sign. And so he got to know Mantle well, and for many years would travel with him to different card shows and everything like that. And I said to him, I said, I said, why? I said, you know, you had all the access and opportunity to get Mantle to sign a stack of 52 Mantles, you know, or 51 Bowmans or, or you know, others. And he said, it was so thought down upon during that era. And by that era, we're only talking, you know, we're only talking 30 years ago. It was 25 years ago. It was so thought down upon that he said that occasionally a kid would come up to Mantle at a card show with one of his early cards, a 52, a 51, a 53, something like that. And Mantle would refuse to sign it because he would say to the kid, you don't want me to sign that. That's a valuable card. And if I sign it, it's going to destroy the value of the card. You need to, you need to just hold on to that and protect it as is. Mantle would tell kids this. Mantle would, would give kids advice that he should not be signing their early Mantle cards because that would devalue it. That's, and so um... I just, it's crazy how the mind the mindset has shifted. I don't get that thinking. Um, but you know, a lot of old, a lot of older collectors, that's, that's still how they think. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're like, I don't understand why autographs are suddenly popular. That's always deface the value. So I guess the real question is, will, you know, how will people perceive it in 30 years or 50 years or hundred years? I think that the autograph just enhances the card and enhances the value and enhances the desirability, especially when you look at the population count differences between the two. That's my opinion. 
Um, but, you know, will the hobby share that opinion in 50 years or will they not? I don't know. Um, but it's it's definitely been shifting in that direction, you know, where where people are, are accepting and liking it more and more over the last few years. Yeah, I know personally, uh, private equity guys are actually getting into the hobby instead of buying a Picasso or Mona Lisa, you know, not Mona Lisa, but something like high-end art, they're getting in and they're buying high-end vintage autographed trading cards. And I think that's been part of the spike. And you say with with scarcity, right? You think of our 86 Fleer set, one of the rarer cards on there is Derek Smith. Um, there's 13 on the pop report PSA. Let's assume there's another 15 in Attic's somewhere unaccounted for, maybe another 10 at Beckett. How many of these sets can possibly be created? 30, 40? How many Picassos are there in the world? Much, much more. And um, that was the moment for me where I'm like, okay. And then for 69, forget it. You could probably have five of those sets that exist, the 69 tops. So it's been um, it's been fascinating. So Jeff, I know we've had you here for a while. LZ's got one final question for you. Um, before we let you go, we ask every guest this question. Oh, you're going to let me ask it, Nick. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I've already talked a lot. No, yeah, I appreciate no, it. You you've had a break. The, yeah, the last piece of it. Uh, Jeff, so we always ask our guests if you could have coffee or dinner with a um, a sports figure who's either alive or has deceased. Who, who would it be and why? That's a great question. Um well, I, I'll tell you, this is not this. I don't know if this qualifies as a sports figure or not, but one of the coolest moments in my hobby journey was I got to have dinner with uh, Dr. Beckett, Dr. James Beckett, when I um, not too long after I, I came back into it and I started my show and I started my podcast and um, and he he listens like to you know to my videos and everything from pretty early on like he was one of my very early subscribers i guess he found me on youtube or you know whatever and he reached out just blindly via email one day got my email address somehow and i mean i was still i was still small like i was into this thing 6 months and you know didn't have a huge audience at the time and he invited me to go to dallas uh uh to have a dinner at his house and so that was so cool like because i as a kid I, you know, like, it, it, you know, everything was Beckett, right? I mean, Beckett, 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 the Beckett price guide was, was everything. And so to get to go have dinner at his house and see his card collection, that was, uh, that was a pretty special moment, um, for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of, uh, someone who I haven't had the opportunity to have dinner with and, you know, do that type of thing. I think I'd have to go, I guess you got to, I, I guess I'd have to go back in baseball history. I mean, I think I'd have to pick somebody who was, you know, who's no longer with us, who, who wouldn't, wouldn't be possible today. And I think I would be, I don't know. I, I, I think I probably might go Lou Gehrig. Like, I think, I think it's such an interesting story. I mean, he was such an incredible ball player, such an incredible, uh, you know, piece of baseball history during that era. And then to have to walk away from the game and to have the, you know, the, the, just the, the tragedy of, of being in your absolute prime and, and, and having to walk away from the game and know that your know that your life is going to come to an end and it's going to deteriorate. And, and, you know, that's like, I, I just, I can't imagine it. And, um, 
yet he handled it with such grace and with mm -hmm. such positivity. Um, and I think that that's pretty incredible. So it would be, it would be interesting to meet him. I mean, there's a lot of other great people. I'd love to talk to Jackie Robinson or, you know, other, other great folks throughout time, but I don't know. Lou Gehrig stands out to me. So I, maybe I'd choose him. Nick, add Lou Gehrig to the list. That's the first. We haven't heard Lou Gehrig yet. And th that's a very thoughtful uh, answer. I appreciate that. Real quick, be before we let you go, Dr. Beckett, like that's incredible. He invited you to his home. Like yeah. usually if you meet somebody, it's like, all right, let's go meet at a restaurant down the street. He invited you to your home. What was the most impressive card that he showed you in his collection? He has a Hall of Fame collection. I I think he, he I, I don't know if he has every single Hall of Famer, but he has the vast majority. He may have every single one um, for all of the major sports. So he has he has the rookie card of almost every Hall of Famer, if not every Hall of Famer from the four major sports. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that it's, it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's very, it's very cool. All, of course, all Beckett graded. Yeah. Um, and um, it's a really neat display. Uh, he's got a really cool display where you see, you know, just all of these cards and it's, you know, here's all the baseball hall of famers and here's all the football hall of famers and all the basketball hall of famers. And it's, 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 it's pretty cool to see. Um, so that was, it, it was just, it was neat seeing that. And, you know, it was a cool way to collect. I mean, it's one of the really neat things I think about collecting is you can choose different ways to collect, whether you're trying to build entire vintage autograph sets or, mm -hmm. or whether you're trying to build a rookie card collection of all the hall of famers for a certain sport, right? Like there's, and there, there's a million different ways you can collect obviously, but those are two. So that was his way of collecting was I want to get the rookie card of all of the hall of famers from each sport. And I mean, Cool. That's really cool. Life, that's, that's a, a li you know. life goal right there, Jeff. That, yeah. That's the life goal. <laughs> that's the I mean, it's like collection. thousands. It's got to be like I, yeah. thousands of play. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a big collection. As I said, I'm not sure he has I'm not sure he has all of them, but he he had a lot of them. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was it was a lot of cards. It was impressive. Well, Jeff, thank you for your time. Um, we appreciate you coming. Uh, you know, I I'm going to ask how if you want to let the audience know how they can find you, but I imagine they can. <laughs> <laughs> because of all the places you are obviously you have the jeff wilson show i listen to that podcast every week i think it's every thursday it comes out sports card investor you have a podcast there and a company um so what's the best way for them to find you yes well all those things and then hopefully uh when cards hq is open they'll find me that way as well so atlanta georgia january 26th hopefully fingers crossed coinciding with the culture collision show which is a really nice card show in atlanta that happens once a year that starts, it's the weekend of January 26th, 27th, and 28th. So that's the goal, why we're trying to be open that weekend, because we're the store is located right next to the show. So that would be, it would be great to be open for that. So find us at Cards HQ. And of course, as you said, Sports Card Investor as well. And we'd love to it. have you guys down. I've got to, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put, I'm trying to decide what I want to put on display in the store. I'm, I don't think I'm going to put like my whole, sign Fleer collection on display just because I'm a little bit, we're trying to be very prudent and careful about security um, mm -hmm. and not having, you know, uh, not inviting additional security risk because as it is, we, you know, we recognize we're going to have a lot of expensive cards and that kind of thing in the store. 
Um, but I definitely want to put some stuff on display. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out, like what I'm going to do, but at a minimum, maybe we can have a vintage autograph, uh, you know, night or something like that sometime where we showcase some of these different collections. That sounds amazing. Down. Yeah, we will be there. I'll try to get the cool. 69 top set finished before then. That's my goal. That, so. That's going to be one hell of a set. That's going to be <laughs> one hell of a set. That, that will be amazing to see. Awesome. Um, thanks again, Jeff. Uh, very generous with your time. We appreciate talking to you. And um, this has been great. Thank you. Awesome. Take care, guys. Thanks, Jeff. All right, everyone. That was another episode of Sports Card Madness. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please take a few seconds and subscribe wherever you get them. And uh, we'll keep them coming. Thanks, everyone.